I wonder if you can remember way back to hurricane that became storm Ophelia. Around that time, just the day before it, I did a sermon here on James chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. I seem to be a person who gets the crazy weather events for the sermons. So here we are again just after surviving Storm Emma and the Beast from the East, which is a great name for a storm. And we're going to look again at James, this time going from verse 1 to verse 12. And in the Church Bible it's on page 847. So briefly to fly through what we said last time. We said James is the author of this book, the book of James, and he's the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, and that he came to faith after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and appeared to him. Over time, and especially after Peter fled Jerusalem and the other James, the brother of John, was martyred, this James became very prominent in the church in Jerusalem, becoming a leader there. We read the first four verses and we were using an analogy of how Irish rebels went from being dirty barn dwellers to being citizens of a new nation when this country was formed. And how that citizenship affected and changed the way they were living from being hiding in fields and in woods to being people who meet openly in Leinster House. We said how that was a little bit like us We lived in rebellion against God and we were dirty in our sin. But God's grace came to us through faith and the death of Christ on the cross and gave us a new citizenship in heaven. And we said that like when the Irish rebels became citizens, when we become citizens of heaven, it affects how we live, how we behave, how we do life. It changes our behavior behavior and the first thing that James talks about with regards to this grace changed behavior is trials and trials we said are things that happen to us from external sources like bad weather that could put a strain on our faith or cause us to stress out and we said that last time that James gives us four keys but we only had time to look at two of them as we travel along what I'm calling the trial trail to reach maturity in Christ. Which James says is the goal for our lives. It's the goal of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's the goal of the outworking of grace in our lives. And it's the goal of the trials that we face in our lives. So we're going to return to James and look at those four keys for seeing the trial trail become a triumph in our lives to move towards maturity in Christ. So we're going to read James chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. If I can. That's a good idea, Margaret. Would somebody be willing to read James 1, 1 to 12, please? Thank you. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not be supposed he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so at the outset, let's be very clear. No matter what trials come, we come across in our lives, we can experience victory over them in Christ through his power and not our own. The result of victory and triumphing over trials that life sends is spiritual maturity. And again, there are four keys to seeing victory at the end of the trial trail. And these keys in the Greek are imperatives. An imperative is like a command or an action word. Like if I was to say go, that would be an imperative. And these four keys are imperatives. But before we look at them, I want to just talk about what an imperative is a little bit. Because the book of James is full of them. In fact, he has over more than 50 throughout the book. They're like commands. But Christianity is not a religion of commands. It isn't a list of do's and don'ts. But it's a relationship. So throughout the Bible, you will find that an imperative, like these ones in James, are always paired with what theologians call gospel indicatives. And a gospel indicative is something that God has done for us. So every truth about the death of Christ on the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the work of grace in our lives, all of these things are gospel indicatives. They, which are the work of God, precede anything that he asks us to do. So gospel indicatives always precede moral imperatives. Now the way they fall in the text might not necessarily be in that order. For example, like in this passage, you've got one in verse 5 and one in verse 12. But before those, you've got um, imperatives. But it is always, what we're doing is always based on what God has done for us. Not we're not doing the things for God to do the things that he does for us. This is really important. You do not have to do anything for God to give you grace. For the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. For your guarantee of heaven. Those things are not by works. So please don't get yourself into a situation where you think that some command is really, really important and you have to be doing it before you can come to God about anything. Gospel indicatives, the promises of God always come before moral imperatives. With that said, we'll take a look at James's imperatives to succeed on the trial trail in our lives. The first of these keys to success when we face trials is seen in verse 2. And we talked about it already last time, so we're just going to go quickly through it again. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, last time we said that God isn't some insane person that wants us to be happy when people suffer or when we suffer. 
because of something that's happening to us that's beyond our control. Joy is found in him. In the same way as we can be having an awful day but find joy and happiness in the ones we love, like Job's friends, when they first come to him and they spend a week with him in silence before they talk and ruin it all, we can be having an awful time but find deep joy in our God and our Saviour. Willie James Jennings said, Joy is a defiant act of resistance against the forces of despair. And Margaret Feinberg said, When we fight back with joy, we embrace a reality that is more real than what we are enduring, and we awaken to the deepest reality of our identity as beloved, joyful children of God. The second key for success on the trial trail is found in verse 3, and it is to know. So the first one is to consider, the second one is to know. Know what? We talked about this last time as well, so quickly we can know three things that can make our trials easier to cope with and worth it in the end. The first is that our faith is always tested. The second is that any testing and trial we come across in our lives is allowed by God ultimately to benefit us. And third, trials seem seen correctly actually help us to mature in our faith. In the movie Evan Almighty, which is a sequel to Bruce Almighty, Morgan Freeman is playing the part of God and Evan's wife has had enough because she thinks Evan has gone mad. He's building an ark because God has told him a flood is coming to Washington. But she's been praying for opportunities for her family to be closer because he's got this big job in DC and he doesn't spend time with them anymore. He's spending more time at work. And Morgan Freeman who's working in a restaurant and sees her and his badge says Almighty and he says if someone prays for patience do you think God gives them patience or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they prayed for courage does God give them courage or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for their family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings, or does he give them opportunities to love one another? I think that's a great line, because that's what a trial is. God's opportunity. And that's what James is telling us to know. The third key is found in in verse 4 and verses 9 to 11. So I'm quickly going to read those. Let perseverance finish its work in you, so that you may be mature and complete, uh, complete, Sorry, not lacking anything. And verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. This third key is to let. So when trials come, we're to consider it to pure joy, know that it's God's opportunity, and let God work in our lives. Warren Wearsby said, God cannot build our character without our cooperation. If we resist him, he chastens us into submission. But if we submit to him, or if we let him, then he can accomplish his work. 
He is not satisfied with a halfway job. God wants a perfect work. He wants a finished product that is mature and complete. So we are to let God work in our lives. We are to cooperate with him. Last time we were talking about how everything in life can push us in one of two directions. Either make us better or make us bitter. And here we have that idea. If we resist the opportunities God is giving us, admittedly these are unpleasant and difficult trial trails, we become bitter. However, if we let God do his work, if we see the thing that he is doing and we go his way instead of doing whatever the sinful desires of our hearts want us to do when trials come, God brings us into the better. Again, we said last time, James is actually asking us to do very little because this is really the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're called on to consider and to know and now we're adding to this but the addition is just to let. To allow God to do his work. Not to resist him but to submit to him. You see, God allows trials in our lives to wean us off the childish patterns of thinking and rebelling that we have established in our hearts. If we surrender to him and his ways, we see victory. If we don't surrender but we're stubborn, all we see is more immaturity in our lives. Now there isn't a direct correlation between trials in our lives and immaturity in our faith. And if I hear any of you saying to someone in this room who's going through a trial that it's because they're immature in their faith, we're going to be having a strongly worded study through the book of Job together. But don't miss this. If trials are coming and you're only ever reacting badly to them, being stubborn and resisting God, he's going to send more opportunities for you to grow because he loves you. When the trial comes, look for the lesson. You don't want ten more trying to teach you the same thing. Trust me, every little thing God teaches me requires him giving me multiple opportunities to learn it before I actually get it and grow. I want to be a first trial triumpher and not a ten trial trailer. That's what I am. There's a weird little bit there in James chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 and it's a theme you'll see quite often through his book where James addresses rich people. But notice in verse 9, he says, believers in humble circumstances ought. The ESV puts this, let the lowly boast. Again, the theme of the section is about letting God work in us through trials, which are really opportunities. We obviously see being in humble circumstances or lowly or being poor as a trial, and it definitely is. But James is encouraging those who find themselves in such a position to allow God to do the work and to let them boast in their humility because God is with them and working it all out for good. James has something to say to the rich people too. And that is that their riches are temporary and fleeting. What's important is what is done for God. Riches bring us no advantage in any eternal sense before God and one of the blessings of the church is that we can be so countercultural. we can see the rich identifying with the poor us all being one family and caring for the needs of one another 
So James is basically saying, let the poor boast in the fact that God loves them. And let the rich boast in the fact that God loves them. Wherever you fall on the rich to poor scale, what matters isn't your money, because that's all God's anyway. It's that God loves you. And it's that God loves the person beside you. As the Apostle John said, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The last key James gives us is found in verses 5 to 8. Which says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So we're to consider a pure joy, know that it's an opportunity from God, let God work in us so that we can be mature in our faith, and we're to ask God for wisdom. I think that's a funny thing to be told to pray for when we're in the middle of a trial. We might be tempted to pray for the trial is o- for the trial to be over, which is definitely what I do. You can definitely hear it in my voice. For over a week, I couldn't speak, and for the first few days, I was praying that every time I opened my mouth, I was like, "Okay, God, let me be able to actually get words out." So for the first few days, that was that was what it was like. After those couple of days. After realizing I'm a 10 trial trailer and not a first trial triumpher, I thought maybe God is trying to teach me something by giving me this forced vow of silence. And a couple more days later, I was like, oh, I've got a great like, opportunity to pray right now. Because making myself heard is quite hard. It's getting better. Um, so why not have conversations with God throughout the day more than I would have normally? instead of repeat, trying to repeat myself 20 times to be understood. Because God can even hear me when my voice is AWOL. We don't want to waste the opportunities God has given us when he brings us to a trial trip. So let's ask him for the wisdom to see what he's doing and teaching us and to grasp those opportunities. We have great encouragement in these verses as well. Because James says that when we ask God, he gives generously to all, based on his grace, not based on our perfection or anything else. We come to him through faith and humility, because we need to have humility to ask for his wisdom. That means that when a trial comes, and you are thinking about coming to God, don't wait. Come in humble faith. He doesn't need you to have it all together before you come to him for his wisdom. Just come to him. When it says that when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, that belief is in the goodness of God, that he does want to give generously to you, and that doubting is about you thinking you can get through your trials in your own power, in your own strength, by your own might, without God. 
We love being self-sufficient, but we aren't self-sufficient. We're deluded. We need God. Doubting what God has said and trying to rely on ourselves will get us nowhere. You'll be like one of those mad drivers who went out on Friday, got their car stuck in the snow and wasted a whole load of petrol or had to abandon their car and walk home. Don't be double-minded, half relying on God, but more relying on yourself or the things of the world. Trust God and believe the promises that he has given to you. We come to the last verse, verse 12, and it's a beatitude. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's a crown at the end of the trial trail for you. The one who considers, who knows, who lets, who asks, gets to the end and receives a crown of life. This doesn't mean that you're saved by enduring trials. It means you're rewarded for persevering through them and allowing God to work in those opportunities he sends to bring you to maturity. Note what the verse says, the crown of life is given to who? The one who loves God. Not the one who obeys, but the one who loves. Love is the indicative that we were talking about earlier behind every one of the imperatives in this section. The abundant blessings of eternal life are ours in Christ. The rewards of heaven are ours when we allow the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when trials come. But notice again how little work we actually do. There's four commands. Two of them are about the way we think. Consider it and know. One is just to allow God to work, to not resist him, to let him accomplish his will. And the last one is to ask him for wisdom, to see the purpose of the trial. So maturity can be grown in us by the power of God. And then we get a reward for it. How blessed are we? Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you even use hard things for our benefit, things that we would classify in category bad. We thank you that you have given us your word and you have given us uh, this wisdom from James, these four things that can help us to see trials becoming victories in our lives. God, we pray that we would think about these things um, now, if we're not in a trial, so that we are prepared when they come to rely on you, to trust in you, to ask for your wisdom and to see your work in our lives as you bring us to maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.